The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. Hi, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garam Pereira columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers podcast. Today we are catching up with Vincent Algar, Managing Director of Australian Vanadium. It trades under the code AVL, or Alpha Victor Lima to be sure. It last traded at two cents for a market cap of just under $60 million. Now, this is one where the company name says it all. From its world-scale Gabonitha deposit near Mikathara in the Murchison region of WA and a planned processing plant near Geraldton, the company is working towards becoming the next vanadium producer for the steel industry and the battery storage of renewable energy space. So it can be said the vanadium space straddles both the critical metal space and the renewable energy space. Critical metals, of course, have become the subject of intense government scrutiny as a result of the disruption to supply chains caused by COVID, particularly in the critical metals space dominated by China. And then we have the battery storage of renewable energy boom, again, a keen focus of governments around the world as we decarbonise everything we do in the fight against global warming. Virtually trillions of dollars are being marshaled by the big global economies for the decarbonisation effort. And part of that push is vanadium. Those forces could well be behind the noticeable improvement in the market caps of established vanadium players so far this year, both here and overseas, with vanadium Australia itself up from 1.4 cents to 2 cents since the start of the year, a gain of 42%. I'm going to stop there and welcome Vincent to the podcast. G'day, Vincent, and thanks for your time today. Hi, Barry. Yeah, thanks. Good to be back. Vincent, um, the updated uh, preliminary feasibility study was released in late April. It's a good place to start, I guess. So fill us in on the key findings, and when does the company expect to follow that up with a bankable feasibility study? Um, yeah, thanks, Barry. So we put that out in late December. Uh, never a good time in the marketplace in terms of people being away and holidays and so on. But um, we got the job done at the end of the year. Um, that was really a key piece of work, uh, increasing the reserve base to 32 million tonnes uh, importantly, at that very high grade compared to many other projects of, of 1.06 in the feed, um, the reserve uh, made approved uh, 9.8 and probable 22.4 gives us an initial mine life estimate of around 25 years, mining around 1.6 million tonnes of ore a year, um, converting that to 900,000 tonnes of iron bearing, vanadium bearing concentrate, and then shifting that down. Um, to our planned processing plant at uh, near Geraldton. It's a very important part of our project and a very much a unique value, uh, a unique uh, selling point for our project is that, that separation of the processing plant and the refining plant. Um, in full production, we're producing around just under 5% of global production, which is the right number. Any more than that, you start to push the market beyond. Financially, because of the additional um, uh Additional tons in the reserve, the longer mine life, and uh, the drop of our of our operating costs to a very impressive three dollars and sixty six cents US per pound puts us in a position of a pre tax uh, an MP, pre tax MPV 
eight of nine hundred million dollars at a very reasonable and acceptable long-term average price of an annum of about eight dollars and sixty. We'll come and talk about the market in a minute. So that gives us very good comfort that despite a relatively high capital cost, um, that this project will be able to retain and maintain operations through almost all of the price cycles of it. And that's really been a primary consideration for the team. Where are we going from here? Um, that second feasibility, pre-feasibility study was about resetting the resource reserve timeline and the mine life, as well as um, setting out our best, putting our best foot forward in terms of the plant locations, which we think we have done. Um, a lot of our work in that interim period between 2018 and 20 was done um, at a definitive level already. So what we're doing is now filling in the gaps of where we don't have definitive level uh, engineering work, costing that out to plus or minus 15% and working to complete that by the middle of the year. Um, lots of other things have to happen um, around that. And obviously approvals are going gangbusters as well, both on the mine side and on the processing side. Um, but those are our key objectives. And then at the background, um, finalizing our offtake agreements um, around that time. Many of our offtake discussions center around that, that uh, key feasibility study, detailed feasibility study uh, outcome. Wow. So that's where we are at the moment and we're pretty much full steam ahead on those objectives. Right. Okay. One of the uh, figures that leapt out at me from the uh, updated PFS was the EBITDA potential at the assumed um, pricing. I think it came, was it uh, 145 million thereabouts? Yeah, yeah, it is. And that is that is a number that, that struck me and it's, it's been brought up by a few of the US uh, funds I've spoken to in the last while. Um, they, they like the number. It, um, it rings true based on um, not being overly... Um, it's actually not overly optimistic given that we're using a the long-term average price. Um, if you run the financial model um, at a higher price, that number really moves well. The project is highly sensitive to the Vanadium price, as you would expect. Um, but starting at 144 at the long-term average price, we haven't tried to high-grade the uh, or try to over-pitch the pricing of Vanadium in this model. Mm. Um, we've used a conservative model. So that that is an impressive number. Um, uh, and we also think that because of that, uh, Barry, the debt carrying capacity of the project is pretty impressive. Now, we've done some modeling around 50% um, debt carrying capacity, um, which we I think we speak about briefly in the actual PFS update. Um, and that that is quite sustainable. And the, the debt metrics around that are very, very good. We think we could probably push that, especially in the current climate for critical minerals. Yeah. A little bit further along, which means that the equity component um, is much more um, doable for, for for new investors coming in. Right. Um, a little bit early, perhaps, but I was just wondering, NAIF funding seems to be uh, finding its way into a lot of uh, quote-unquote strategic metals projects in WA. Uh, would this uh, project qualify, you think? Yes, it Actually. does. So it absolutely does qualify. The processing plant, the mine, is inside the NAIF region and the, and the NAIF definition um, is suitably um, flexible to allow processing outside of that region as long as the, the bulk of the mining and stuff takes place inside the region, which we do. Mm. Um, the other benefit of, of NAIF is that uh, it is, you right, rightfully say, targeting critical minerals projects and also the benefit uh, of infrastructure to other users. And uh, we, can, we can offer that, particularly in the gold mining region where we have at least three or four developing gold mines, West Gold, um, 
we have um, and um, monument with mines very, very close to us, skull mines that would be able to benefit from you know, from shared infrastructure. Okay. Now, as we all know, it's uh, vanadium's uh, an opaque sort of market, so it would help if you could give us a feel for where demand and pricing is at the moment. And on the demand side, how do you see the currently small market for vanadium's use in uh, redox flow batteries evolving, in particular uh, talk about the attributes of uh, the RFBs over the alternatives in that renewable space. Okay, so the pricing. Let's, let's talk about the pricing. So we've we've got a we've got a COVID recovery underway right now, and I, and I think that's the beginning of a COVID recovery, not the end of it. The vanadium price has spent the last sort of since um, about May, uh, early January nineteen, sort of come off a high, very very high period. Which, which was a result of Chinese change of, um, of policy around use of microalloys. Um, that very high phase came off and we've spent the last sort of um, two years effectively eh, since, mid, since January 19 um, in a very low patch, around $5 a pound or slightly less even. Now that's important why when we talk about low operating costs and why we have to be around there because if the price does move into that area, which it spends some time in, you have to be making money. So at $3.66 a pound, you can still do that. Mm-hmm. So what's happened with the price is um, during COVID, China was operating um, very quickly after the first wave and then continued to consume all the world's external units outside of China, remembering, of course, that China is 60% of the world's market um, for production and supply. So China was importing, which is an unusual situation for China. So it was actually using up all the vanadium that was around there. Mm. So the non-Chinese producers were selling their product into China when they could because the Western markets were closed. But what we've seen and rapidly turning around in the last um, month or two since the beginning of the year, uh, since February, is that market has turned around and the European markets are awake. Um, They're needing vanadium. And the traditional suppliers outside of China are returning to them. So they're sending that, those units back to European North American um, mills. Mm-hmm. And with that, the price has swung around. We probably see, going to see China start to export again, and that'll put pressure on internal Chinese pricing. Um, the price has already moved from around $5 in November of 2020 to around just under $8 um, in the last few days. So that's a big move on a small commodity price. The market is restricted in the steel sense. And then you ask the question, well, what happens with the, with the impact of the vanadium battery? So the growth rate in steel is there, but it's relatively small. It's around 3% per year. And that's tightly tied to the growth in the global steel market, um, assuming that everyone's using vanadium in their repo, which they, which they generally are and the Chinese are insisting on. Um, the vanadium battery market has a capacity to significantly grow um, upwards of 10% per year um, as the stationary storage market grows. Now, will vanadium be a the leader in that stationary storage market? I do not think so. Um, will it be a component of that storage market, stationary storage market? Absolutely. Why? Because not every, not every, not lithium-ion does not fit every need. It's particularly it becomes particularly expensive as a capital asset when you start to move beyond four or five years, um, sorry, four or five hours of storage. And when you want your assets to uh, be network, long-life network assets, uh, vanadium is far more suitable as a long-life network asset, so a 20- to 30-year asset that you can manage 
rather than a replaceable asset like a lithium-ion battery, even at the plant level. So vanadium redox flow batteries have got a huge potential to shift the total dynamic of the market towards a balanced energy and steel market, which does not happen, um, which won't happen without it, if you like. It'll be a slow-growing market with the, with the same rules. So companies like ourselves, like Bushfield Minerals, like Ligo Resources, are very keen to to help assist growing that market. And, and what the way AVL is doing that in Australia is by running a subsidiary sales company specifically aimed at generating sales and implementations of random redox flow batteries to start that, to kickstart that market. Hmm. Okay. Um, I guess my next question goes to what you've uh, just touching on there. I'm interested in what sort of innovations you see coming forward, say in home solar solutions and uh, more recently, the talk of vanadium's potential uh, for use in lithium-ion batteries, the enemy, as it were. Yeah, lovely. Yeah, no, it's a great story that we're looking forward to keeping a close eye on it because of the sheer impact that they will have as it, as it reaches a mainstream. Um, so if you look at if you look at home storage is, is something that vanadium flow battery companies have, have often um, tried to avoid because they think that it doesn't fit perfectly well. But a lot of those thought processes happen in places where um, renewable generation on rooftops in, in houses similar to a lot of Australian houses and also off-grid houses, people who are on fringe of grid, um, people who live out in, in, in sort of um, rural or semi-rural areas. Those scenarios don't occur in many parts of the world where we have relatively high energy costs and relatively insecure grids. Um, and a lot of lot of renewable capacity. So I think the the opportunity for um, domestic scale flow batteries is unique, probably to the Australian market, and that's why AVL is particularly keen to push that along. Okay. Um, and 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 that's one aspect of it. Um, and 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 there's a, there's a, there's the safety aspect as well, Barry, which is um, lithium ion batteries are not going to be popular necessarily as a domestic implementation with all the rules and regulations that are going to come around there potential flammability mm -hmm. uh, and we can't get away from that in fire prone areas so flow has a space again a portion of that market which we believe will be taken up by people who want a long life asset that's got a deep cycling capability um, and actually able to produce baseload you know backup for people mm -hmm. so we, we are avl is very much involved we've got two products that we're working on at the moment one's from singapore one's chinese and we're helping develop those and getting them ready for for a sale and connection here in, in, in WA and then around the countryside. Um, to your last point, other really exciting development, um, I think will definitely shift things uh, in a crazy fashion for vanadium is um, the research that's going on around the world for using vanadium in lithium-ion structure. Um, the reason I, I say that will be a game-changer because stationary storage is is great, but it's not overly exciting, whereas EVs are exciting um, and a big shift for the world. Um, traditionally, vanadium has been excluded from that because it hasn't had a place in the lithium-ion package chemistry. Mm -hmm. However, as you point out, recent work in Korea, you're probably referring to that article, we know of work going on in Switzerland and we've also seen work in North America where um, over many, many decades, in fact, vanadium has been included in the cathode structure with the lithium iron vanadium phosphate chemistry. Mm -hmm. and, and the work that I understand from my understanding of the work I've read 
is that it has some significant benefits to the lithium-ion structure, in particular its chargeability and its charge retention. In other words, it'll charge faster and it will retain its charge longer. Now, both of those things we know as potential EV users are already going to be important things for us. So if, if vanadium can deliver into that space, it'll deliver in large volume and there will not be enough vanadium around in production to, to match that. Um, so I'm very excited by keeping that market development going as well. Um, we, we keep our eyes on everything we can, but our primary objective here is to get the project funded and into development. All of these other things really are important because they, they justify our case. But today the bank and the equity investor that invests in us needs to know that the project is going to work, that it's technically robust, that it's financially robust. And that's our, our currently our short-term objective um, and that we have a market for our product. So that's really what we're focusing on as a team right now um, and aiming to, to get those definitive numbers out by mid-year. Yeah, okay. I mentioned the world is turning very green. It was before COVID, but governments around the world seem to have doubled down on the efforts. Uh, looking at the project itself, what are you doing to enhance its uh, green credentials? So there... These lovely things called scope one, two, and three, which I think every investor should should uh, um, improve their knowledge of, because it really becomes an important investment concept uh, for people to understand. So, vanadium, um, from some recent work by Texas A&M University, vanadium has a very good scope three impact right now. By putting more vanadium in finished steel products, you can drastically reduce the amount of steel needed. The amount of uh, cement needed, both steel and cement, are um, high users of, of CO2. So greening the end scope three footprint is very is very mm-hmm. uh, quite easy with vanadium um, in steel, and, and a big lever, by the way. Yeah. Uh, on the on the on the um, production side, vanadium is not so not so good in that sense that it uses a roast process, uh, and that roasting process generates CO2 in some in some volume. So. Uh, the way that AVL is tackling this specifically is by getting involved with um, the state, the West Australian state government's efforts to develop a hydrogen industry um, where we know we can feed hydrogen into our gas mixture and therefore reduce our gas, uh, our overall um, CO2 consumption mm-hmm. in our gas burning phase, which is obviously quite a big phase. We can also use um, ammonia. Um, from the hydrogen production process um, to use in our precipitation step. Again, if it's green, if it's green ammonia, we can feed it into the process again, offsetting our our own generation. Um, using um, hydrogen-powered vehicles for, or electric-powered vehicles for that matter, um, on mine site and haulage vehicles is also part of our longer-term strategy. And we've actually formed a relationship with a company called Adco that is developing a Green electric, a green vanadium, green hydrogen plant here in WA, mm-hmm. and looking to get them to help us supply hydrogen for our processing plant. Um, and then, lastly, um, there's a lot of talk around about green steel. The vanadium titanium ore is actually perfect for that. Once you remove the vanadium, you're left with an iron titanium byproduct mm-hmm. that we've already tested at AVL as being um, susceptible to uh, reduction via various methods, including hydrogen reduction. Okay. So um, that would help us. So there's a lot of different bows we can pull. Obviously, renewal generation on site at both at both sites is, is very viable. 
um, and we're in a very, very much a good belt for both wind and solar and VRFBs um, on our sites. So we'll be pushing all of those into the design, final design phase and costing. I would have thought uh, solar would not be an issue up at Megathara and wind wouldn't be a problem near Geraldton. Um, no, and um, exactly. So we've got some really excellent resources available to us, um, particularly in the, on the site near Geraldton um, where we've, we're a little bit out of town, but the wind does uh, keep pumping all the way through into the hinterland there. Oh, does it ever. And, uh, and you, can, you can get some good resources out of what you're trying to do. So we think we can come up with a cost-even, um, even cost-beneficial number, not to impact our energy cost um, too negatively, but by bringing a lot of carbon um, credits in to our generation, which on a scope one level we, we are um, obliged to do and will help us, as you say, with uh, the investment community. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> obviously, a uh, project's not resource-constrained, 25-year-plus mine life, um, but off-take and in turn financing, obviously the key to having a, a live project. So where are you at? And uh, I think you actually have some supply MOUs already signed, but uh, how do you see it all panning out? Yeah, so we've got about um, five MOUs. Three of those are with battery companies. Uh, one Chinese, one Singaporean, one um, European. Um, those are for helping those companies with both electrolyte and vanadium supply across the world. Um, then uh, we have a, a MOU in place with a company called US Vanadium, which is a specialty chemical producer in North America. Um, and we also have a MOU in place with Hebei Iron Steel in China. Mm. Now, our strategy with respect to China is that we don't want to be all in China. Uh, we don't think that's smart. Um, this is effectively a critical uh, mineral, almost a rare earth in some ways, in terms of commercial production outside of China. Uh, and the dynamics are very similar. So we, we are um, cautious about overplaying the Chinese hand. Mm -hmm. uh, that includes on an investment side. Uh, but we are also mindful that that is the world's biggest market for vanadium and will not ignore it. So we've chosen to work with Hebei at this point. Um, we'll, when we get closer to the final feasibility numbers, we'll probably look to lock in um, something more intent with, with uh, more detail, should I say, and firm with both Hebei and US vanadium, both of which we, have, we now have good um, balance sheets to support us. Um, and then there are other players in the vanadium space and the steel space that we're very interested to talk to and have ongoing discussions with. So it is a key part of, as you said, getting the project up. We don't want to give away the farm and we know the commodity is moving upwards. So our, our, we want to keep our negotiating strength up during these critical times. Mm, okay. Well, there we go, folks. So a very interesting and fast evolving story across uh, both steel and battery space sectors. And uh, obviously the BFS is something to look out for mid-year. Um, so with that, I'm going to say thanks for your time today, Vincent, and uh, good luck with it all. Thanks, Barry. Thanks for the time to uh, chat to everyone.